0: Hey, friends. Producer Adam here. I am the admirable admiral, very recently placed in charge of steering the show away from rocks and mermaids and any other bad stuff that this uh, suddenly tired metaphor would suggest. Uh, We're playing some greatest hits from the archives the next couple weeks in the run up to our 2022 season. And this episode is my personal favorite. We're going all the way back to episode 8, first published on October 10th, 2019. What a simpler time that was. This is some prequeller tech vintage YDHTY, and also happens to be the debut of super producer Jason the Big Geno Putney. R.I.P. dude. When I first heard this episode, I was immediately drawn to the idea that ranked choice voting would solve a ton of the political problems in the United States. There really are better ways to elect our officials. And until we have a system that doesn't force us to just choose between the lesser of two evils, we're still basically stuck voting for evil. And I think we can all agree that sucks. I want to sincerely thank you for listening and subscribing and telling your friends about YDHTY. All the ways you support the show are so important, so keep spreading the word, keep the tweets and emails coming, review us with five stars, link and share, all that good stuff. Thanks to you, we have the momentum and the numbers to inject some sanity into the chaos of our political system. And now, please enjoy You Don't Have to Yell's crash course on proportional representation, courtesy of Ireland and our guest, Joe Burke.
1: Buenos tardes, amigos. Welcome to the eighth installment of You Don't Have to Yell. I'm your host, Dan Sally, recording live... Of Massachusetts, the birthplace of modern democracy. Now, this month, we've been diving into the two-party system in the United States, and we've discovered that there's a large desire for third-party candidates, for alternatives to the two major parties, yet our electorate breaks down into three blocks, and those are those who love their party and will vote for them regardless of who they nominate as a candidate. Those who hate their party so much they call themselves independents, but they still vote for that party anyway because they hate the other party even more. And then lastly, those who don't like either party and don't vote. Seems like a recipe for success to me. Now, a lot of this has to do with our first-past-the-post voting system, where all you need to do is win more votes than any other opponent to win, and as a result it really crowds out those third parties and it also means you could be largely disliked as a candidate and still take office now a great example is our last presidential election where both candidates had unfavorability ratings over 50 percent it wasn't a contest to see who americans liked the most in as much as it was one determining who they disliked the least so for our final installment I wanted to find out what the political climate was like in countries with proportional systems of representation. These are ones where the number of seats a party gets in government are proportional to the percentage of the popular vote it gets. And I leaned on an old friend, Joe Burke, who was active in politics in his native country of Ireland for a time, to give me some detail. Now I'm gonna give you a trigger warning. Proportional representation is actually really easy as a concept, but Ireland found a way to make it hard. That being said, they still have a pretty good system. So as always, I'll be back at the end with some closing comments, but until then, Joe Burke. I guess to start things off, you know, so I've been trying to think of a way to describe the current situation in America to you, or kind of how elections work, how politics work here. And I, I, figured, an, I figured out an analogy, which is, you know, you've flown now Aer Lingus from dublin to boston a couple times right okay great and you know they have the chicken curry and they have the it's beef stroganoff right or beef pasta i can't remember what it is do you happen to know offhand or no uh
2: yeah there there tends to be maybe a a stroganoff dish dish.
1: that's yeah yeah so you've got you've got your chicken and you've got your beef and and now the way it works here is uh it's just like that where you have effectively two parties you have democrat and republican chicken or beef right um and the only difference is that if one more person votes chicken than votes beef or the other way around everybody on the plane has to eat it and so at its core you know you've got your hardcore chicken your hardcore beef people those are about like a third and a third right and then you've got these people in the middle and some of them like chicken and some of them you know like beef a little better but they're not really going to make a stink over it and then you have the people in the middle who have zero preference and end up not eating and that's pretty much how it works here now my understanding of the way things work in Ireland and you can correct me if i'm wrong is again you're on aerlingus right and Right before it's about to take off, the pilot gets on, and he's like, "Welcome to Aerolingus Flight Seven Nine Five, nonstop to Dublin. How's my accent, Joe? Is it good?"
2: It's improving massively.
1: It, it really is. I could do the whole, uh, <laughs> I could do the whole uh, the whole podcast like this, but I, I'll, I'll spare you that. So, so, at any rate, he comes on, and everybody gets to pick their own meal. And so if you like chicken, you get chicken. If you like beef, you get beef. Maybe you're like a fish person. They get a fish dish for you. And so everybody effectively gets to eat their own meal. Is that how it works? Am I describing proportional representation correctly or am I totally off base?
2: <laughs> um, I mean, you know, the, the gist of it is rice. Um, okay. It's probably a system where more so than other systems, more people kind of feel represented or more people get what they want.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I, I guess the problem with simplifying is it's it's kind of notorious as a as a kind of a difficult system of elections to, to both describe but kind of to maintain okay uh, yeah that's in, in terms of giving kind of a crash course in it but yeah done a good job
1: okay okay good good so 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 okay so very very oversimplified but but relatively correct. And now I guess too, before we go further, like what's what, cause I know you've been involved in Irish politics to an extent. Like what's your involvement been?
2: Um, I, I guess not as involved these days. Yeah. Um, busy, busy, uh, on, on the work side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in the past, I guess, you know, I would have started out maybe active in terms of, just canvassing and kind of loose campaigning leaflet, mm-hmm. door knock that type of stuff
3: mm-hmm. um,
2: and, and then kind of over the years worked up through doing some um like actually working on campaigns and managing kind of maybe more the the youth or the student side of campaigns yeah and then maybe more um full kind of campaign management i guess in, in some cases
1: okay okay got it got it and now so again kind of getting back to to what i had said about the system you you've effectively got a system where again if one party gets 25% of the vote they get 25% of the seats uh is that that's more or less correct right or is there any nuance to that
2: i i guess it kind of works in terms of so the to give it kind of a its full name it's um proportional representation with mm-hmm. a single transferable vote so there's you know, a lot of different systems out there of proportional representation. Mm-hmm. Single transferable vote is is a little bit more unique. Um, I think it's only Ireland and Malta are the only two two countries that use it on on a national level. Okay, uh, it's pretty unique in kind of the, the global political sphere. Um, the way it tends to work is the, the kind of key nuances of it hinge on the phrase single transferable vote and. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people's vote transfers between their preferences. So somebody indicates their first preference. So it's not like you know a first past the post system where you go in and you just mark or you want you mark chicken and that's it. Yeah. Um, or STV, you put numbers beside what you want in order of preference. Um, okay. Because it's kind of a, I guess, sort of a plural a plurality system where there tends to be a lot of different options and either lots of options within parties there tends to be a lot more potential um, choices rather than just a, a chicken versus beef. So in TV systems mm-hmm. you tend to have, you know, there could be five different types of chicken and five types of beef. And there's also a vegetarian dish, and there's a vegan dish. And, you know, so you have 10 or 15 different options. And in general, in, in most areas, you're voting for, you know, there can be then three to five winners. So it's not really a case of everybody gets chicken and everybody gets beef. Mm-hmm. You're kind of voting for the top three options that people can get. So then I say, and you're coming in, you're saying, okay, my, my number one, what I really want, when I'm coming into this flight, I really want beef stroganoff. Mm-hmm. So number one beside beef stroganoff. Mm-hmm. Say, okay, well, and you know, if I couldn't get beef stroganoff, uh, number two, you know, I'd be okay with getting um, a nice beef stew. And mm-hmm. number three, I'd be okay with getting, uh, you know, a cottage pie. Number four, okay, I'm open to chicken. I'm going to put down chicken curry. Um, so you kind of order your ballot then in terms of what order you want things in, mm-hmm. um, and and that's that's the easy part. <laughs> the, okay. Yeah, figuring out, I, I guess, uh, explaining that bit and the system of having preferences is kind of straightforward. The fun sort of starts at the actual figuring out who wins, um, and, and that's why the counting in this system kind of takes so long. Like We set aside an entire day um, just to kind of count the ballots. So usually the day after elections, you'd spend the entire time counting, um, and, and then results might not be until later that night. So you've kind of boarded your flight to Boston, your Aer Lingus flight to Boston on, on Friday morning. Uh-huh. You're not finding out what won the ballot until Saturday night. So for that reason, it's probably not a system that would be adopted by airlines.
1: Got it, got it. Yeah, so you're not finding out the meal until it's too late, pretty much, is the yeah, way it works. No, All right, no, understood.
2: If, if anyone from Aer Lingus is listening in, that they that the system <laughs>
1: Yeah. I would say that would, that would result in many unnecessary delays. Um, okay. Okay. So then, so then, so again, getting back to the chicken or beef. So I have my chicken choices and I'm like, okay, so I'm going to pick fried chicken first. And if they don't have that, I'm going to pick chicken curry. And if they don't have that, then there's this lemon pepper chicken. And then if they don't have that, I guess I'll make a compromise and go over to Beef stew, and then so on, and then ultimately it's kind of the top it, so it's ultimately the the well no, I, actually I'm not clear so so how do you like weigh those choices?
2: once once all of the votes are counted, so once they have an idea of the total valid electorate, and um, that's kind of one factor. Mm-hmm. the other factor then is the total number of kind of uh, I guess the total number of winners. Um, so in the system here, every constituency will have um, you know, multiple, what we call TDs, mm-hmm. so our representatives. So every constituency will have a number, um, three to five.
3: Mm-hmm. In this
2: case, let's say on, on our flight, um, there can be, um, you know, let's say there can be three winners. So there can be three possible options um, that people get. What they do is, okay, so let's say there are 100 passengers on the plane. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: So that's your number of passengers. Your number of available options then in terms of just figuring out, what we're figuring out now is the quota. The quota then is the number of passengers divided by the number of winners plus one. So three winners plus one is four. So you divide 100 then by four, which is 25, and then you add one vote on. Okay. So twenty-six votes is the quota. So whoever gets to twenty what you know, whoever gets to twenty-six votes, they win.
1: Got it, got
2: it. Okay. And then the other end of things, so let's say then if um you know chicken curry gets chicken curry gets 30 votes. The Mm -hmm. quota was twenty six. There's a four vote surplus. So what they do with that surplus is then distribute it to whoever, you know, distribute it to the number twos of people who voted for chicken curry. Okay, people who voted for chicken curry, yeah, number two, their second preference tended to be, um, I don't know, chicken Kiev. Uh, And they say, okay, well, of these four votes, you know, we're going to distribute X amount of them depending on the percentage of people that had chicken Kiev as their number two. So chicken Kiev then picks up some second preference votes and so the votes are transferring again. Hence the name single transferable vote.
1: Understood. Understood. Okay.
2: Of the things, then you would eliminate certain elements. Mm-hmm. Let's say, um, let's say you know your your uh, cottage pie, for example, comes last. So mm-hmm. he finished last after the first count, uh, and he has five votes. They eliminate him. They take those five votes they look at what the number twos were on the people, you know, on those five votes, and then they, dis- they distribute those to the number twos accordingly. What you're trying to do is get to a position where uh, your three options are filled, either by, you know, three hitting the quota of 26, or everybody else being eliminated until there's three left. Got it, got it. These so. Between those preferences. Okay, okay.
1: One more question there. So how do they figure out the, the second choice then? Is it just kind of like that? Is is it an average across the number of people whose first choice was Cottage Pie? Or is it, uh, is it like a case where they take like the second place winner for Cottage Pie? Like how does that work?
2: The second choice, they'll obviously have, you know, their number of votes that they were number one in. So yeah. they'll start with that number of votes. And then they'll get votes added on either from ones above, the surplus of ones above uh, or, you know, the total vote of ones that were eliminated being distributed.
1: Mm-hmm. Got
2: so it. They look at the, so they look at, um, again, we'll use kind of simple number of terms. And um, Let's say the person, let, let, let's say that the winner who was in first had, um, you know, nine votes over the quota. hmm They'll look at their votes and they'll say, okay, well, 30% of people who put this as number one um, had, uh, you know, Beef Stroganoff as number two. Mm-hmm. We're going to give 30% of the surplus to number two or to, to Beef Stroganoff. Understood. So, seven, nine, and they're saying, okay, we have to give 30% of nine. So they'll give them three votes.
1: All right, understood.
2: On to the votes they already had until again they get to the to the quota, which is twenty-six, um, or you know, enough of the ones below get eliminated that there's nobody else there.
1: Understood. Okay.
2: It's a pretty big achievement. In general, it's a big achievement and it's a sign of a really popular candidate if somebody gets elected on the first count. And mm-hmm. generally after the first count, in, in most kind of constituencies there wouldn't be a clear winner. Nobody'd be at the quota. Mm-hmm. So start off kind of with the eliminations and then distributing of the votes of the people who are eliminated.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a very rare achievement that any president in this country gets elected with a majority vote anyway. So, um, and sometimes that doesn't even matter. So obviously we've got that system down, but it still looks like the majority of folks there, the majority of seats, uh, are held by one of two major parties. So Fianna Fowler, Fine Gael, correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. And can you like, what's the difference between the two of them or why are they overwhelmingly so much more popular than some of the other smaller parties out there?
2: Yeah. I mean, it, a lot of it would be a lot of it be historical. Um, like, you know, we've only been, we've only had these parties. And we've only been voting in these elections for, you know, kind of 80 years. Um, so a lot of it is, is kind of legacy and historical. Um, in a lot of cases, you know, I, I guess they just align more with the majority of people. Um, Fianna Fáil especially would be, you know, kind of the, the most, in, in terms of all the elections we've had, the vast majority of the time we've been as a country, Fianna Fáil has been in power. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of up until the financial crash where, you know, they were so as responsible and their vote collapsed. In the seven years preceding that, you know, they've been in power for you know, maybe high 50, 60 of them. Okay. Um, and, you know, in the times that they weren't in power, it was always Fine Gael. So there's never really been anybody else in terms of the, the main power in government. Um, other people would get in on kind of coalitions and on deals and on things like that. But in general, it's been Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's just largely down to kind of historical reasons and, and post-Civil War politics.
1: Got it, got it. So is so then there's there's not really like a huge ideological difference from the two, it sounds like. It's more traditional, yeah. would you say? or
2: Yeah, not massively. Um, you know, there's kind of, in some cases, there's a perception in Ireland that, you know, in terms of the political spectrum, that people would almost sort of be... Ideologically illiterate, for want of a better term, uh-huh. people don't hear. People don't massively identify as <laughs> um, you know, right or left. Uh, it's it's emerging more, maybe in the last, um, let's say, ten or fifteen years. But historically, um, people wouldn't really have voted along ideological grounds. It'd be on historical grounds, or to be on. Um, we have a term here. For, called parish pump politics. Uh-huh. Nice bit of alliteration. It's, it's generally, you know, kind of the, the Irish term for per, uh, parochialism. Um, so just people, and, and it's kind of a byproduct maybe of the PRS TV system. Um, people here tend to vote more on local issues rather than on national issues. Um, so historically, a lot of who you decide to vote for would be the things that they do in the local area. So the candidate being able to come around and say, OK, well, you know, I got this school built and I got the roads, change, you know, I got the roads upgraded mm-hmm. and you know, I got an extension to the town hall or whatever. So a lot of it tends to go on local grounds and that kind of favors, you know, that by logic would favor the incumbent. And um, so the person who has been empowered. So you'd have more people tending to get reelected. So it wouldn't really open up that many, um, I guess, that many opportunities for new power, for new, um, I guess, new representatives or new seats.
1: Got it. You know, it's, it's funny. It's similar here where the, the approval rating of Congress in the United States for the last 10 years has been somewhere below 40%, I'd say. And, and I'm being very generous there. Like, if I, I want to say the last time I heard it, it was in, like, the 20s. Um, and the big question here, of course, who are those 20% who are actually happy with the way Congress is working? But the the interesting thing is that if you look at the polls around people's individual congressperson, so the people representing them in Congress, mm-hmm. the approval is actually quite high. Yeah. And so it's 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 it seems kind of similar in the way where, where, again, the way you serve your local district is ultimately indicative of how you're going to, you know, how well you're going to fare in the it next would, election.
2: It, it, it'd it be the same here. Um, you know, people, uh, a voter could spend, you know, the majority of the times between elections. So, you know, they could spend maybe five, five years giving out about, you know, a party, their national politics, what they're doing on a national level for housing. Um, and then they'll, vote, they'll turn around at the next general election and they'll vote for their local candidate that represents that party because, you know, he got their son to the top of the queue for the passport. Mm-hmm. And he got the extension for the local school or whatever. So people do tend to, um, I guess, to, to kind of vote on those bases. The, uh, I guess the interesting thing about here is that you'd also have multiple candidates from the same party running in the same constituency. Um, so if if you're one of the politicians, you're kind of watching your back from your own side
3: mm-hmm.
2: as much as you are from the opposition um, and and so but you know you need to be really tuned in to your local voters, and you really need to be working for their needs because otherwise e- even if it's an area that would be seen as maybe a inadvertent safe seat for a particular party uh, and you know the the people of the area are only going to vote for that party um they could easily vote for the other person from the party that's on the ballot. um, Or, you know, there might be two or three others depending on the, the size of the constituency and the number of, of possible winners.
1: Understood. And so if I'm an incumbent and then there's some new upstart in my own party who's looking to unseat me, what does that upstart typically do? Because obviously the incumbent has a huge advantage.
2: It So, so like, how would the... Yeah, like because i because
1: well because i mean for example what would happen here and we actually just kind of had a glimmer of this in massachusetts is you have a somebody else from the party who wants to challenge an incumbent and so they at some point enter into the what you know, we label as the primary process here, which is effectively uh, all the Democrats or all the Republicans get together and they all decide to vote on which of the two or however many candidates they want to make their their candidate, they want to bring forward. And during that primary process, it gets nasty. So, I mean, if it's, if it's a hotly contested primary, people are really tearing each other apart. And you, know, you, you kind of saw this a bit in the obama versus hillary primary years ago you know i guess kind of framing it that way or keeping that in mind if you have like an intra-party challenger how does that process work is it divisive is there something they're doing to kind of build their support prior Hmm.
2: yeah i I guess a lot of it would be and, and this is where kind of the um you know Central command or HQ kind of comes in, mm-hmm. um, and in general, the party headquarters uh, would decide how many candidates they're going to run in a particular constituency. They kind of look at it; they'd say, "Okay, that's that's a three seat constituency. Um, we have two incumbent TDs there, so we're going to run. You know, we're going to run two candidates." Um, whereas they might look, they might say, "Okay, well, that's a five seat constituency, and um, we have two incumbents." We fancy taking a third seat, so we're going to run three candidates. Mm -hmm. So in general, they'll try and kind of weigh up what they think is realistic in terms of actually winning seats, and they'll run that number of candidates. From there, it's up to the candidates to, I guess, engage in in vote management. Mm -hmm. Uh, The system here means that managing the vote and managing the vote um, between candidates of the same party is really, really important. Uh, and things, you know, are, are quite strategic in some cases. So you know, you'd be saying if you and me were running for the same party in the same constituency,
3: mm-hmm. uh,
2: we're trying to be make sure we try to make sure that you know if somebody's going to vote for me and I know somebody's going to vote for me, that I make sure that they put you down as their number two, and likewise that when you're canvassing, you're canvassing for you number one and for me number two, so that that way our transfer, you know, our transfers are kind of making sure that we that we both come in. Because like if I engage in you know publicly slagging you off and telling people not to vote for you, <laughs> um, that's just not going to work out well for the party. So we need to try and manage it properly so that we're both kind of getting in on each other's transfers.
1: Understood. Okay. Okay. And so I guess how does that work between parties too? So how are the parties campaigning or competing with each other?
2: Um, I, I mean, like they... they I, kind of like in any other system and they'd be competing with each other on, mm-hmm. on policy grounds or, you know, there'd be no very rarely or really if ever would there be any sort of pre election pact between parties.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so in general parties would be kind of fully running and campaigning against each other.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and then only after kind of the dust has settled and the results are in, would they talk about um, kind of forming coalitions uh, because it's it's kind of, one sort of feature of PRSTV systems that some people see as good and some people see as bad is that you almost always have a coalition government. Um, like the, the last time there was a single party government in Ireland was 1977. So in all of the years since then, it's been coalition governments, uh, or you know, in the case that we have at minute, a minority government um, that's kind of backed up by a. Uh, a confidence and supply agreement with the, the biggest party in the opposition. Okay.
1: Conf- so confidence and supply, what is that?
2: So that's kind of the, the name that they've put on the current arrangement where um, Gina Gale, who are the party in government, mm-hmm. they don't have enough support to form a government on their own. They don't have a majority. And, you know, the, they're the largest party in terms of the number of TDs that they have but they don't have enough for a clear majority. Mm-hmm. So they've entered into an agreement with Fianna Fáil, whereby you know, Fianna Fáil will support them on the big issues that could bring down a government, things like supporting them on the budget, supporting them on, on big bills. So basically not collapsing them um, in exchange for you know, Fianna Fáil input on, on some policies and Fianna Fáil getting to bring uh, some submissions into the budget. In exchange for that, they will keep the government up um, and a lot of that at the minute is is being supported by um uh, I guess the Brexit process in the UK, uh, because we want to make sure that Ireland is kind of stable at this time, and that you know we're not kind of fighting and running elections over here when we need to be sort of united front um on the Brexit process. But I mean, it's it's still like some people would see it as, as pretty extraordinary that um you know less than a hundred years on from the civil war, that what were the two opposing sides in the civil war are now technically in government together um, in all of name.
1: So you bring up an interesting point, kind of getting back to like the civil war politics of it all. Like, you know, why were these, why are these two parties in such opposition at one point? Like what was the...
2: Um, I guess in its simplest terms, there was at the end of the war of independence, mm-hmm. uh, so early on in the, the 20th century, um, there was a treaty signed with, um with Great Britain. So kind of a peace treaty, um, which was also in effect kind of our withdrawal agreement, if you like, from the UK. Um one side was and, and the kind of government of the day or what was kind of the provisional Irish government um had a split. Some people were pro-treaty. So they were kind of pro um, you know, signing the agreement and, and just getting out. And others were anti-treaty and just said it was and, um, you know, it, it wasn't kind of what we fought for. And, you know, we need more. And so they voted against the treaty. So they kind of split along those lines. And then a civil war started on, on that basis.
1: Got it. Got it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so so basically what you have now in terms of the people who vote, then it sounds like you have basically the the grandkids or even maybe great grandkids of the original party members who are kind of voting the way their their family always has for the most part then is that kind of it or
2: um like i i guess for the first you know maybe 50 50 years of the state, 56 years of the state it it would have been a bit like that because there's pressure on people's minds yeah i think the last um you know my generation my parents generation um would kind of being the first without memories of that and kind of bitter memories of it. So that's kind of where it's, it's moving away a bit. Um, But you still just have the legacy of, because they were the two biggest parties for that entire period along kind of civil war lines that people haven't really moved away from them um, because it's what they know. And as I said, that the system kind of favors the incumbents.
1: Okay. Okay. Understood. Understood. So then the one thing I noticed too, is with the current government in Ireland, there's a lot of like independence in there. And are these people who are just undeclared, or do they, like, who are they?
2: Yeah, I mean, in general, they're taking advantage of of that kind of, um, of that um, parish politics mindset, I guess. Mm -hmm. But there are people that run, and and some of them unashamedly so, um, if you get time, you you should look up the Healy Rays from Kerry. Um, Some of them are just unashamedly run on the platform of you know, I am running to represent my local people of, you know, West Kerry or South Kildare, whatever it might be. Um, And, you know, they're saying that I'm going to get empowered. I'm going to make sure that the people are looked after and that they get their voice, um, you know, up in Dublin. Um, And and they kind of run on that basis and they're successful and they don't really have a national platform. They run on a local platform. Um, All
1: right. Yeah. You, and so, you know, one of the things like that keeps coming back, too, is like, there's a very strong focus on on local affairs. Are there national issues that are issues of contention between the parties?
2: Between the two major parties?
1: Any of them, for that matter. But maybe we'll just take the two major to start.
2: Um, I mean, Ross... You know, not nothing as, uh, probably nothing as divisive as what you'd have in the states.
3: Like uh-huh.
2: uh, the the parties here, if you're talk, if you're thinking about things on kind of a political spectrum, all of the parties here are pretty much gathered around the centre. Um, with the two major parties being, I, I guess, in the European context, they'd probably be called just slightly right of centre. Uh, uh-huh. On on the US spectrum, uh, you'd actually refer to them as a center left. Mm -hmm. um, So they're quite similar on on most things. Um, Fine Gael are maybe a little bit more right of center, um, but probably have moved left since their time in government. Uh, Both tend to move, like, both will be relatively populist, so they kind of move with um, the times. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even Fine Gael have maybe come a little bit more left since being in power. Um, we don't have like we definitely don't have any hard right elements. Um like Feeney would be as as right as it gets. And as I said, if they were in the states, they'd be center left. Yeah, yeah, they're both quite similar. FINA Fall maybe the different might be they'd be maybe have be a bit more vocal on the situation in the north and be more kind of a you know a little bit more vocal in terms of being a, a Republican party. Like that's kind of the tagline that they put on themselves. Um, But by and large, you know, in terms of policies, um, they're quite similar.
1: Got it. Got it. And so, what about then the minor parties? Because you have a lot of little, like, you know, parties with maybe less minimal representation. And is there maybe a little more, you know, venom in their platform, or is there a little more opposition to the center parties from them?
2: Um. Yeah. I. I guess the kind of notable outlier in terms of actually, you know, having uh, you know a decent degree of support um, would be Sinn Fein.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, they, they kind of be peren- uh, perennially in opposition. So, you know, they've never been in government, even as part of a coalition um, in Ireland, which usually some parties somewhere along the way would have at least been in a coalition. So, Sinn Fein, I guess, would be um, would consistently be a party of the opposition. Um, and they'd probably be, in, in terms of the major parties, they'd probably be, I guess, the, the most left-wing um, presence of the parties. Like, even we have a Labour Party, um, but, you know, it's a little bit closer to the centre, uh, whereas, you know, usually expect Labour to be further left. But our Labour wing is, is a little bit left to centre, where Sinn Féin would be, I suppose, the actual um, left-wing party. Got it got it okay okay cuz
1: that's something like so basically what we have here right now is you know like i said before it's you know it's winner take all 51% of the people vote for chicken curry we all get for chicken curry and what happens prior to that during the primary process is all the party faithful get together and they determine what who they're going to nominate so let's get let's get back on the airplane. Cause that was fun. So, um, so again, the chicken party gets together and they nominate chicken curry and chicken cacciatore and chicken a la King and fried chicken. And at that point in time, what you have is you have some of the most partisan, most kooky people voting for their candidate or voting for their favorite dish. So, in a lot of cases, by the time that dish comes out, it's something that actually nobody really wants, and they now have to make look appealing to the general population yeah. and so in my mind, you know based on the fact that we have this first pass the post system based on the fact that uh, we have a primary process where you effectively have to be more extreme or more partisan in order to get ahead in the party. You ultimately have a system that favors the kooks at the expense of the center. And it sounds like as a, in the case with Ireland, the the kooks can just do their own thing. You know, they can go off and form their own party and, and see how that goes. And ultimately, it's the goal of the major parties to be as palatable to the largest group of people as possible in order to retain power does that kind of describe things am i getting it or am i off yeah, base
2: no, yeah, like, like the system here the prstv system you know doesn't really support like again you know if, if you look at the first past the post system and um, you can get pretty much all of the power mm-hmm. with a small well-organized fringe movement yeah and, but, you know if you're kind of a Uh, a right wing element in a country where the vast majority of people are in the center, but there's a bunch of different parties and candidates in the center. If all of those parties and candidates are splitting their vote and you're kind of the well-organized right wing element, and you know, you get 30% of the vote, you can get pretty much all of the seats because everyone in the center has split the vote, they all have 20% each. So you're rolling in with 35% and kind of taking all of the power. Um, Whereas here, the system just doesn't work like that. Because of the transferring between candidates, the parties need to be where the people are. Um, And in Ireland, you know, pretty much the vast majority of people are gathered around the centre. Um, There would be a good kind of contingent of people on the left. Um, Right wing, I I mean, the parties on the right just don't do well here. Like if you look at a list of the parties in Ireland, and, um, you know, we, even all taking in all the, the kind of small ones and the ones with, you know, no representatives, um, pretty much all of them have the word left in there somewhere. Yeah. Left, center left. And, um, you know, the, the, there's maybe two parties that would be, if even, the, there's probably one party um, that's had any sort of, any sort of, um, you know, coverage or um, personality in the last few years. And, and that would be a party called Renewa. mm mm-hmm. And even they would be, um, you know, the, the right-wing conservatives, like they're not right-wing fanatical nationalists mm-hmm. they right-wing in, in terms of being more conservative. And, you know, at elections, they tend to poll at about 2%. Mm-hmm. Uh, the,
3: the,
2: the popular support just isn't there for those parties. The parties need to actually gravitate to where the people are in the system, which is why I was saying since they've been in government, Fine Gael have, have kind of probably come in even more to the left Um, And and over the years, like over the last seven years, both of the major parties, um, you know, it's kind of a constant journey to the left. Um, There would have been mirroring kind of Irish society along the way. Um, So, you know, back in the 1930s, 1930s, Ireland uh, would have been a much more uh, right-leaning place, like country dominated by the church. And, you know, I I guess everything else that you would associate with a right-wing country in the kind of, parties would have started there. And then over time, as kind of the people develops, the society develops, they're kind of following the people back in closer to the center, which is where they are now. Um, So there is kind of a big, uh, I guess, a big vacuum over on the right that's not really being occupied. And it's a question that comes up every now and again, like people wondering, is a right-wing party going to emerge or right-wing popular support going to emerge? But I mean so far there's there's just not really the proof for it. Yeah, I mean it seems
1: like the majority of the time when there's when there's uh it seems like the majority of the time when there's a debate over what you'd consider right-wing policies it seems like it's typically funded by people over here who want to use Ireland as sort of a proxy war for you know the social religious conflict going on here like you saw it with the gay marriage referendum where mm. There was American money coming into the election. If I, if I, if I'm remembering correctly, am I wrong there?
2: No. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of we'll call them fringe individuals. Okay. (laughs) There's a couple of fringe individuals. Um, one of them, you know, she she's kind of taken up permanent residence outside Google's headquarters here at the minute. Okay. And and, you know, they'd be kind of well known, but you know, well known just for. I guess being well known for being well known, or well known maybe for uh, just kind of people mocking them, but there are sort of these fringe individuals that um, kind of get—they do get backing and they do get support from you know certain groups, certain individuals um, within the states. Uh, but you know, I, I guess they're still not getting a huge amount of—they're um, still not getting a huge amount of, of vote here. Yeah. One of them ran this Google person. I'm, I'm not going to name her. She's um she's known for for litigation. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but she you know she, she ran in the in the European elections in Dublin. The most recent European elections, and mm-hmm. um, you know didn't didn't do well at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I mean there are these individuals that are being backed by different elements elsewhere, but it's not had the same effect here that it's having elsewhere in Europe. Like you look at the kind of. Emergence, re-emergence of the right in the UK around the issue of Brexit. And um, there's other kind of countries in in Europe, like you look at Hungary. And um, even every now and again, uh, the the National Front in France will kind of become more popular. In Ireland, it's it's just not taking hold. Um and you know, maybe it's just our nature as as people to just kind of, you know, laugh at people, not really be interested, <laughs> not really be too bothered by these things. Yeah you know we we tend not to get kind of carried away in, in hype or, hoopla or anything like that
1: yeah yeah and and the other thing too is obviously like uh, demographically the country's changed a lot over the last you know 20 years where um i think the first time i was there was in 96 and i was just baffled that it was all irish like yeah. that because coming here coming from america you know nobody's from here So you're all American, but you all kind of have your your home country, so to speak. And uh, it was very homogenous. And I think now you look at it and you've got a lot of people coming over from Eastern Europe, Africa, uh, the rest of the EU. And there doesn't seem to be too much of the same friction or same issues that you might see over in the UK, for example, or in France, for that matter. Um, Is it because of the way the election system in, let's say, the UK and France is structured? Like, is there something different about it that maybe makes them more prone to electing extremist candidates or is it just the culture, you think?
2: No, I I think that's more of a culture thing and even a historical thing. Um, I think, like, I know that Irish people are are quite good at just kind of stepping back and just looking at all of our emigration for, you know, a few hundred years. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, especially in the in the 1800s, when millions of people left the country at the time of the famine and went to, you know, went to the UK, went to Australia, went to the US. Um, so I think a lot of people would acknowledge that it'd be pretty hypocritical for us to turn around and say, um, you know, that the people now shouldn't come here in search for a better life when we kind of made it our thing for a few hundred years. Yeah, um, but, you know, there's other things that were are pretty. Um, we kind of acknowledge and we're pretty proud of our status as kind of being a, a small, open economy on the edge of Europe. Um, but a lot of, a lot of our success, a lot of the reasons kind of why, you know, companies are um, okay here and why maybe we punch above our weight economically is because we bring in, you know, we bring in skills, we bring in languages, we bring in, you know, people that are coming in from abroad bring a lot of diversity into the, into, into the economy, if you like, and a lot of different skills. Um, are kind of a big part of, of Ireland being where it is, and I, I think you know my my feeling is that people are just generally more accepting of that. Okay, acknowledging of it, I guess.
1: Okay, okay. So I guess I have two questions for you. One you can punt on, and the other one I'm going to demand an answer. Um, so first one, can we talk? Could you tell me which which party do you align with and and, and why?
2: And um, so Fianna Fáil would be the, the party that, um, I guess Fianna Fáil would be the party that I, you know, worked with, I suppose, um, volunteered for and mm-hmm. the party that I'd still, I'd still vote for.
1: Got it. Got it. And is that just out of tradition or is there something specific? Is it, is it because you've invested all this time in the party itself
2: and, or is there something else there? No, I think probably kind of the interest and the support came first. Um, just in terms of, you know, when I got kind of interested in politics in probably mid to late teens, yeah, um, they probably just maybe aligned more with, um, I, I guess with my view on on Ireland, on Irish society, on things like, you know, a, um, being Republican, but like a peaceful solution, you know, peaceful Republicanism, a peaceful solution to, to Northern Ireland and, um, So, yeah, I mean, probably just lined up better there. They also, again, it probably feeds in that they were, um, at that point, when I was kind of getting interested, they'd been in power for kind of 90% of the history of the state. So most of the positive things that you look back on, by default, are going to be because of them. So, you know, education, the kind of liberalization policies, um, you know, peace in the North, there's a lot of things you could sort of tie back. Um, So, yeah, there were a bunch of reasons there.
1: All right cool cool all right last question chicken or beef joe (laughs) beef beef really do you know i when i was going back and forth a lot i was a i I was a beef person i would have the chicken curry i think it was every third or fourth meal just to keep from getting sick of the beef (laughs) that's kind of why i did it so well
2: My, my, my granddad always had a thing about um or was it a thing about ordering chicken at a restaurant? And um, you know, if you're out with them, you wouldn't be allowed to order chicken. Yeah, you can have chicken when you're at home. You know, when you're when you're out, you order something else.
1: I think I'm going to do something like that when I have grandkids.
2: Well, my, well, my dad runs a beef factory, so. Um.
1: <laughs> uh, understood. All right, all right, hits close to home. All right, man. Well, thank you very much for spending the the last part of your your day with me, Joe. Um, this is shed a light on what a knife fight of a political environment we have here now the biggest thing i got out of that conversation is the fact that in ireland you have two major parties competing for the center and that's because that's where the votes are now in the winner-take-all system we have here the incentive structure is turned upside down we've got a situation where parties pick their voters by carving congressional districts that work in their favor that turns the primary into the general election effectively. So the candidate who plays the partisan base wins and the center's really left to pick the lesser of two evils and it's chicken or beef. You don't like it. Don't eat. Now, I don't think it's a coincidence that countries with proportional systems of representation rank at the tops in terms of public trust and transparency as they actually convey the will of the people. Novel idea. And if democracy is a mechanism for putting the will of the people into action in government, I think we might want to trade the domestic model for a European one. Now, next week is a new month. And with a new month, a new topic. And the next topic is guns. America loves them. America hates them. Who's right? I'll give you a hint. America! I hope you'll join me. Until the next, this is Dan Sally, signing off.